Jesus said to his followers, he said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And in this world, he also said, you will have trouble. <coughs> Last week, uh, Pastor Brian talked about the blessings of God's kingdom. Blessed are who? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the hungry. Uh, Luke 6.22 says, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and when they insult and reject you in your name as evil because of the Son of Man. There's a lot in the Bible about suffering. It, you see it all throughout Scripture, and we, we really need to understand it. I mean, read the book of Job, read Lamentations, read Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. I mean, all over Scripture, we see about suffering, even God's people suffering. Yet there are individuals and there are whole churches that just sort of ignore the reality that God would call his people to suffer. Uh, it's just, you know, you know, why wouldn't you want to preach that? We, we, uh, I was talking to Pastor Brian, we we're planning out some, some you know, future preaching, and we, we both really want to preach the book of Lamentations sometime. And I said, well, we usually preach Old Testament topics in the summer. We can spend the whole summer on lament. And uh, that's a terrible summer. Um, <laughs> Although you might have a great summer because you'd be on vacation, you know, every Sunday you'd be, let's go to the beach. And, you know, um, that'd be kind of a downer. It was Pastor John Ortberg. He said, look, if you, if you want to draw a crowd, three things you've got to preach about. One, you've got to preach about sex. Two, you've got to preach about the end times. And thirdly, you've got to preach about, you know, will there be sex in the end times? And then you could draw a crowd. But if you want to, I mean, preaching on suffering is probably not the way to do it. Yet... Um, it's, it's, it's all over scripture. And, it, you know, we live in a culture that doesn't want to think about this, doesn't want to talk about it. Any pain is really unacceptable and needs to be um, removed. Not just pain or physical pain, but any kind of imperfection or blemish. Uh, there's got to be some way to escape it. We live in a culture of comfort and convenience. And, you know, medicine is fantastic. Therapy can be helpful. Technology can alleviate some suffering, but it's still a universal experience that we will experience in some way suffering in life. Uh, so we need to understand it from a biblical perspective. We need to understand it from God's perspective. And that's what I want to do this morning. But before we jump in, I want to acknowledge that not everybody sitting here is going to find this message helpful or hopeful in any way. There's a, a, a Christian woman, she's a, a speaker and an author named uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. If you know her story, when she was young, she was rendered quadriplegic in a, uh, just a, a diving accident when she was young, and she spent her entire adult life paralyzed. And she said this, she said, I've learned that when you're hemorrhaging human pain, answers, even if they are good, right, and true, can sting like salt in a wound. And my hope today, as I share these thoughts, is that um, it would be good and true and right understanding of human pain. But when you're in the midst of it, I know that it's not always helpful and, and hopeful. And, and I want to acknowledge the reality of that. But in some way, my prayer is that all of us this morning might in some way understand God's heart and that we might understand uh, human suffering 
uh, through God's eyes. So let's pray together as we do. So Father, we pray your protection. Uh, We pray that you would be very gentle with us today. And I pray especially for those who are here this morning who are in deep and real pain and suffering in various ways. I pray that we would all know the peace of your presence, that we would uh, be comforted by your abiding Holy Spirit, which you promised to all of us who put our faith in you. So do your good work in this time. It is yours. And we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So a little, little road map. I want to talk about suffering in general, sort of different levels of suffering, three levels of suffering, and then think about what I'm calling the vocation of suffering, and then consider God's purposes for suffering. And I want to consider eight of those. So if you're doing the math, that's eight purposes and three levels and one other point, that's 11 or 12. We're never getting out of here. <laughs> On a holiday weekend, it's beautiful out. Um, but we're talking about suffering. I'm not trying to create suffering through this message, but we'll get through it together. Um, three levels of suffering. One is uh, the suffering that every single person on earth experiences. You see, God created the world, and he created it good with no suffering, and he brought light and goodness and fullness to the world. But human sin, uh, and sin, anything going away from God's plan, brings about a decay in the world. It brings about death, including human death. And so God says to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, to dust you shall return. There is toil in life and toil in work and even our getting food. Life is is burdensome and then we die. And this is the reality for every human. Uh, And from this point in history, when sin enters the world, right through and scripture accounts it, it describes life like that. It describes the human body as a tent. And I like tents. I like to go camping. I, I like to sleep in a tent for a few nights. You know, I don't want to live in a tent. It's not meant for that. And in 2 Corinthians it says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. But meanwhile, we groan. You know, we want a permanent, healthy body, but we have this tent that's not really meant to be permanent. And we experience that. And everybody does. We experience loss of health, decay of our human body, our you know, our hair falls out and uh, we feel it in our joints and our knees. We feel it, you know, we, we, we it, but it's not just health. It's about relationships, too, that we experience burdens in relationships. We experience uh, financial hardships. We experience tri- it's a strife and toil. It's just all these things. The key here is we need to recognize that we all live in a world where we're going to experience suffering and we need a rescue. This world needs so bad a savior to come and rescue. Romans chapter 8 says, um, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We realize that God has saved us and he's going to bring about the fullness of his salvation and we won't experience these things. But right now we have to deal with them. So that's level one suffering is everybody experiences in some way or another 
that kind of strife and, and physical things. Level two suffering is what I would call chronic suffering, where people experience those types of things, but one on top of another. There's one loss followed by another injury, followed by another strife, and just you, you look at their life and you, see, you just say, how is this person, how do you even survive one trauma after another? And in Scripture, we, we see this. I look at somebody like the Apostle Paul, again, who loved the Lord, called by the Lord to, to minister in his name. And this, was what, this is how he described his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toil, have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures, uh, my concern for the churches. I mean, that is terrible. And yet that was his calling, his ministry. And I see people today who have this sort of chronic suffering, whether it's chronic illness, uh, people who have been disadvantaged their whole life because of the, the failure of their parents or because of an unjust system that they live in. Um, people who suffer traumas early in life can be on this kind of a trajectory. Um, and this, this is chronic suffering. So we have, everybody suffers, then we have people who, some people suffer chronically, and then last is this, uh, the third level is sort of this unspeakable, tragic, or unspeakable evil and tragedy. John the Baptist, whose account we're focusing on today, um, you know, here he is suffering in prison, but he ends up, he, he ends up being beheaded by this leader, and for just, uh, for just a terrible reason, just for basically on the whim of someone else, and he, he ends up killing this man. He's, he's decapitated. It's just a terrible tragedy. I see it. A good, good friend of mine, some of you know, he's you know, 39 years old, gets cancer and dies. Didn't do anything that we would think would cause you know, cancer. Leaves a wife, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old. Um, you know, innocent people die. Children get abused. And then there's broad-reaching evils. Again, I put this in sort of this level 3 um, wars and genocide and torture is terrible. And at whatever level you experience it, we all experience it. So we need to understand it. But the thing that makes this even harder is what I call the vocation of suffering. That the reality is we believe that God calls some people that their vocation or their calling in life is to suffer, or it certainly includes suffering. And it's the belief that God is fully in control, and he not only allows suffering, but he uses it. Now, when we talk about the vocation of suffering, we need to remember that we, be we, we believe in it, believing that God is all-powerful. Some people say, well, yeah, there's suffering, and, you know, because God is good, he would stop it if he could. But you have evil, and you have good, and they're kind of... No, no, we believe that God is all-powerful. Yet he allows suffering. So, well, maybe, you know, God's not good like we think he should be, because if he could stop certain suffering, 
certainly he would. And we say, we uphold God's power, we uphold his goodness, and yet suffering. That we believe that God has a greater purpose to it. And it's not a random purpose. Now that purpose, for, God, for God's purpose for suffering, it, it, we may know it or we may not know it, or we may not even as humans be able to comprehend in the mind of God why certain things happen, yet we trust that he has a good purpose. And here we come to our text, and we see a good man, a great man, uh, John the Baptist, and he is suffering. And we believe that God had a purpose for this, even if 2,000 years later, a group of people in a room on Memorial Day weekend would be focusing on his story to consider God's heart and what that means for us. So he was a prophet. His calling, his message from God was to proclaim to prepare for, for God's coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. How do we prepare? We prepare by repenting of our sin. That was his message. And it was a very unpopular message. He's calling people. He said, look, you're sinners, and you need to, be, you need to turn from that because God's kingdom is coming, and it's very near. The Messiah is coming. And he had people uh, were baptized, so they were uh, ceremonially cleansed and, and washed and as a symbol of kind of dying to their sin and rising to new life and as a symbol of being cleansed. So, it, and, and he lived a very, he's, he has this ministry to proclaim this, and he's living a very humble life. He's foraging for his food. He's wearing just animal hair as clothing. He was out in the wilderness, not in the city. And that was his calling with this unpopular message. But for John, it wasn't, an unpopular message. It was an exciting message. It was a message preparing for Jesus. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, here he is. This is the Lamb of God who is to take away the sins of the world. God's kingdom is now here. And John said, everything I've done is pointing to him. Don't look at me. Look at him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy to be any way a part of this. Just look to him and follow him. And it's here. I'm doing this thing with water. He's going to do this thing with the Holy Spirit and with the fire of God's judgment. It's all here. And there was so much excitement that Jesus came on the scene. But here's what happened. John doesn't get to see the ministry of Jesus. He continues his ministry of pointing out people's sin, again, which is unpopular. He pointed out the sin of the ruler, Herod the Tetrarch, because Herod the Tetrarch had taken his brother's wife as his own. So he was in this adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. And John points this out. He said, you need to turn from this sin. And Herod says, you're going to prison. You criticize me and my, my new wife. And so there's John just rotting away in prison. Now we can criticize our leaders because we live in a country where that's okay. Many countries in the world today, you can't do it, and certainly not then. And there's John, because of his calling, sitting in prison, suffering, rotting away. He doesn't see Jesus' work unfolding. He hears about it. And this is what he hears. He hears some people are healed. You know, some, some, maybe some deaf people re re restored their hearing. Uh, maybe some blind received their sight. Even maybe a dead person was raised. So that's good. But he's hearing that some people are healed, and yet he's just stuck in this prison cell. And what he was hearing just wasn't big enough. We assume that 
his, what he thought Jesus was going to do didn't quite match what he was hearing. Okay, I'm hearing good things, but where's the fire? Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's your kingdom in its fullness? And he sends his, uh, he sends his followers to Jesus, and he says, hey, is this it? A few people healed, curing some, some things. Like, is this really what you came to do? I mean, are you really the one who's going to usher in this whole new era? Or did I get it wrong? Maybe it was, maybe I should wait for someone else. In his response in suffering, I think we could almost understand it. It all depends on what you think suffering is and who you think God is and why suffering happens. Is God all powerful and all knowing and has a purpose for this all? Or, is, or has God let you down? If God's let you down, of course you'll be angry. People, walk, people suffer, they walk completely away from God. Or they doubt. And if you, if you doubt God's goodness in the midst of suffering, don't feel bad about that. This is John, who Jesus basically said he's one of the greatest people who ever lived, who is doubting Jesus in the midst of his suffering. So even someone as great as John doubted, you can doubt too. And Jesus does not condemn John. He actually commends him. And Jesus understands that. When we are in that position, he extends his grace to us. Jesus wanted to remind John that his, his plan and his purpose was still good. God's, God's healing work in the world was starting and it was unfolding and it was still happening. But we need to be careful because when we're in those places, we can get to a very dark place. Where we start to pray and we feel like, my prayers are going up, there's nothing there. No motivation to do the, any kind of spiritual things, that any spiritual practices that might have helped me. And I'm just, you know, maybe I, I want to know and love God, but I'm just stuck because of my situation. It can be very bad. And when we suffer, that's when we need hope the most. That's when we need to know God's way the most. So we can understand it rightly. I, years ago, I was doing youth ministry. I was in a small group and a student. In the small group uh, was a self-professed uh, atheist. And the group was talking about his atheism. We said, why are you an atheist? He said, well, my dog died. I love my dog. And God, you know, why would God let that happen? I don't believe in God. I said, okay. What did you think was going to happen to your dog? Like, how long do you think a dog lives? Like, really? Now, and I don't mean to be insensitive, and I know you loved your dog, and I know this is very sad. But where did you get this notion that, that, that somehow, because your dog died, there is no God in the world? And, and we sort of look at it, and I, I look at him as sort of a silly situation. But at the same time, we think about ourselves and say, we all know that suffering exists, and we all know that death is real. And, um, but somehow in the back of our mind, we think, well, maybe I'll just be the one who... I'll be the one who kind of just dodges it all. I'll somehow be able to escape it. But we can't. And so this is where we need to understand that God has good purposes for suffering. I want to give you eight real quick. These come from um, an Old Testament scholar named Walter Kaiser. He was a an author, but he was the president of Gordon-Conwell when I was a student there at the seminary. And he wrote a book called Grief and Pain in the Plan of God. And he, at the end of this book, he, he outlines sort of eight types of suffering or eight purposes for suffering that he sees in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. But 
um, I just want to run through these real quick. The, the first is what we call, these are all, he, and he uses kind of theological language. So what he calls retributive suffering, sort of retribution. And the, the notion of that is that, um, that God has set before people choices. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you, you and your children may live. The idea that we, we make choices all the time to, um, some people do evil and it brings about great suffering in their life and other people choose uh, what is righteous and there is great blessing in that. And this is one type of uh, suffering is that when people, you know, they, when they make terrible choices and we, we've seen that. But that's just one time. And one of the harshest things we can do for people is to, you see somebody suffering and you say, whoa, they must be really because look how bad they're suffering. Or somebody looks at you and you're suffering and they think, hmm, yeah, that's definitely sin there. And yes, that's possible, but that's only one thing. And it's harsh and it's mean and it's, it's basically spiritually abusive if we look at people and say, well, this must be because of um, their own evil. Because the second one is there's educational suffering. That God uses our suffering to teach us things about life and about himself. I have a friend this week. Um, oh, actually, this verse, Hebrews 12.10. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. That God teaches us as a loving father. I have a friend this week, and he was driving. He got a flat tire. He gets out, changes the tire. Um, hadn't had a flat in, you know, years. She puts on his spare, buys you, you know, a day or so to get to the tire place to get your new tire. The very next morning, he gets up, he leaves his house. The other tire on the front goes and then he's stuck there and he has to call for the roadside assistance and the tow and then the thing and then he's late for work and and i was talking to this person the same day and i and he said to me he said you know god is just teaching me humility god just is teaching me to stay humble it wasn't that he had done anything wrong it wasn't that he lived some sinful life he's like god's going to use this to teach me things i said wow that's really mature um can i use that in my sermon because I'm not that mature. Like, I just, I, 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 these things happen, you just get frustrated. And he said, yeah, 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 you can tell that story. Just don't use my name. I said, okay. Um, so, but the idea is that, God, there's educational suffering. There's also empathetic suffering. Sometimes we suffer because we are near other people who are suffering, or we see evil in the world, and it drags us down. And, and Scripture teaches, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, that there's times when we suffer to walk alongside somebody and to hold them up, and God has a good purpose for that. The fourth one is testimonial suffering. This is the best example in the Bible of this is Job. If, if you're familiar with the book of Job, basically God and Satan are having this uh, showdown, and, and, and Satan says, look, Job only follows you, God, because you bless him. So God allows Job to suffer greatly, and Job still has faith, and it's a testimony of faith. And, and it points, um, and, and Pastor Brian talked about this last week. When we suffer and we have faith in God, it shows the world who God is. Um, the fifth one is, is what we call, or what Kaiser calls, revelational suffering, that it reveals God's love to his people. In the Bible, the prophet Hosea, he was in this terrible um, relationship with his wife, and um, you have to read it, but it's basically his love for 
this woman reflects God's love for his people. And that through the suffering, it revealed God's love. This is what we call doxological suffering. Um, that's suffering that occurs for God's glory. In the Bible, the, the story of Joseph, his brothers um, abused him and sold him into slavery. And, and he, later in his life, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That God was using it for his glory and his goodness. And we see this in Scripture. Um, seventh, vicarious suffering. That is one person suffers on behalf of others. That we, you know, we celebrate that Memorial Day. We think about those who gave their life for others. And, and of course, in our faith, Jesus Christ is the ultimate vicarious sufferer that he takes, he dies in our place for us. And God had a good purpose in that. The eighth, the last one is what we call eschatological suffering. That's that God allows intense suffering as his kingdom is about to advance in all of its fullness. That we, we experience a greater suffering, but then we experience a great deliverance that emerges from that. And those are the eight things. And at this point, you might say, Pastor, who cares? Whoop-de-doo. Eight nice, neat categories of suffering. Am I having doxological suffering? Am I having testimonial suffering? I'm still suffering. Thank you for your nice, neat categories. So you're right. Maybe that's helpful. And God didn't reveal it in eight categories. He, and we can, there, are, there, are, there is suffering that we experience. There's pain in life that we cannot even put into any kind of category. Yet we walk in faith. Three things. One is that we just, the first step, if you're walking through that, is to just be honest with God. God knows you're suffering. Sometimes we feel shame. Suffering feels like failure somehow. But God understands. It's, he loves you. As we put our faith in him, we just release it to God. And we, we read Psalms like Psalm 88 that ends, the last line of the psalm is, darkness is my closest friend. That it's, it's a prayer of faith to approach God with your darkness and, and with that hardship. And he understands. And secondly, is to, is to just don't stop praying. Here, John the Baptist, he goes to Jesus. You know, he still goes to Jesus. And this is where we can, if there's any hope of maintaining fellowship with God through suffering, it's, it's through prayer. So we don't stop praying. And lastly, thirdly, um, remember that God is there with you. There is no darkness he does not understand. There, there isn't any pain he hasn't experienced. We know as Christians, Jesus died on the cross. He understands physical pain. He understands spiritual, um, the, the, the spiritual pain of what he accomplished on the cross. And God had a good purpose for Jesus' death on the cross. Um, to, to redeem us. Know that God does not waste pain. Know that he has a purpose. That he's accomplishing his work. That's why this response that Jesus gives to John is so amazing. Look at verse 22. This is what Jesus says to John's messengers. He says, go back. Report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Why is that such a big deal? He had, John had already heard these things. 
But Jesus is using the same language. He's alluding back to Psalm 61 that, his, that God's kingdom would advance and that, that good news proclaimed to the poor and there would be signs of the kingdom. And, and Jesus is reminding John, yes, it's still unfolding. This is it. These are the signs of my kingdom. When Jesus started his public ministry, he went into the synagogue and he's reading from the scroll. He reads these, some of these same phrases from the scriptures and he rolls up the scroll and he says, this is being fulfilled in me. In your hearing this today, this is fulfilled. That yes, I am the one who was to come. Yes, these are signs of the kingdom. And you just need to have hope that it'll be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is coming. The judgment is coming. Do not lose heart. And then John doesn't even get to hear it, but Jesus commends him. He said, hey, that John, he's a prophet. He's greater than a prophet. He's, of everybody born, he's the, he's the best. Yet his calling was to suffer. If we can understand that, it doesn't make your pain go away. But it does give us a context to understand God, to point to his way and to point to his glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray right now for people here who are struggling with this, these very same thoughts, with various pain, illness, loss, strife, Lord, all these things. We all experience them, Lord. That we in some way might know your heart, that we might remember that Jesus healed, that that. Um, that he overcame death, even death. And that we'll know it in its fullness. And we wait, and Lord, we groan, and that brings us pain, and we don't understand your way, yet we give you praise, yet we trust. In the darkness, we trust. And I pray that you would bring hope where it's so desperately needed. We pray that you would bring healing where it is needed. We pray that in all things you be glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.